All in preparation for the challenges that lie ahead. This is a show that feeds the mind with inspiration and truth on the issues of the day. If it's important to your life, you'll find it here. Hosted by Malcolm Out Loud. Well, no doubt we are in high political season now that both conventions are behind us and the very long general election in front of us. Went to the theater, grabbed a seat, and watched Hillary's America. Not exactly the Flintstones, but it was an interesting movie. It's Malcolm All Out here. Welcome to America Out Loud Talk Radio here. This is Real Life, and I want to bring on here Carol Swain. She's Vanderbilt University professor, widely recognized expert on campaign and elections, racial politics, immigration reform, religious liberty, and I'll tell you what, she's not afraid to speak her mind. Hi, Carol. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. Well, welcome in, and thanks for joining our listeners here with us today. So, listen, I, I went to the theater. I don't do that a lot. I don't go see a lot of movies, and I, I certainly don't um, do a lot of these political documentaries and that kind of thing. But I thought, you know, all right, there was. I know Dinesh. I've had him on before, and I've seen his movies prior. I said, let me go see what it's all about. Uh, so, what do you think? Was this movie Hillary's America... In your opinion, is it a game changer, uh, Carol, or is it just another political documentary? It's a game changer if people actually go out and see it and if they want to do their own research because uh, so many people are just stunned by the information that they are exposed to in the film. And so I'm hoping that for the skeptics, it will be a starting point for them to do their own research. Now, we should tell folks that you're in the film. You, you play a pretty good part. Tell folks what your role in here is, Carol. Well, if there's a role, I'm playing myself. Uh, about in the middle of the film, he decides that he wants to get more information from an expert. So he comes to me, and I spend, I don't know, 15 to 20 minutes uh, given the history of the Democratic Party. And there are various scenes where I will hand him a photograph and it turns into live reenactments. And they had a cast of over a thousand people. I think the acting was superb and uh, the reenactments. I mean, it was not a low budget film. You know, it didn't come across as a low-budget film. It is, uh, it's dramatized, though. I mean, as I was watching it, I questioned myself. I, I said to myself, I, I wonder how many people will find it completely believable and how many people will blow it off and say, ah, it's just another overblown film. You really don't know. In other words, you know, in order to entertain people, you've got to have some drama in there. And, and I mention that because there are many times that you see Dinesh going in and out of doors that say, you know, don't enter, caution, that sort of thing. Not something I thought that really happened in real life, or did it? Oh, no, that didn't happen in real life. But it's all, that also sends a subtle message exactly. that sometimes we have to uh, go into those places that say don't enter because that's where the... They keep the dirty stuff. That's well, where the bones are buried. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. So there is some drama added to it, as any film would have. I want to ask you, Carol, um, why... I, I, here, this is not an easy question. Why am I going to ask you next? So good luck in answering it. But um, why, why have the power brokers in the Democratic Party, why have they been so successful in attracting the black and Latino vote to their brand of politics? Well, they use the politics of fear, and fear seems to be very successful in motivating people. 
And I think that that's how they get minorities to the polls. They can't get them to the polls based on what they actually deliver. So they have to have a boogeyman, and they have made the Republican Party the boogeyman. And I think that people are motivated by fear, and that's why they vote uh, for the Democrats again and again and again. And they don't have a clue about the histories of the two parties because the Democrats have convinced most Americans that they actually have the history of the Republican Party that's a flip. And once you see that movie, you'll see that the Democratic Party has always been a party of corruption. But you know, Carol, uh, I, I mean, I hear you. I know the history. So I, I mean, many folks probably don't. But again, like you say, research, look it up, be armed, be educated. Absolutely. But listen, um, whatever they're doing, the strategy overall, I have to confess, it seems to be working. I think it's the politics of fear, and it does work because it fear takes and bypasses a person's rational mind, and I think that that's what they are aiming for because if racial and ethnic minorities and other people who vote for the Democrats were using their rational mind, they wouldn't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, getting the same bad results. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. I like your uh, rationalization, but my point still is, it's working. It still works. Within... It's working. It's been working. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to work forever. There's a scene the in question. the film yeah. where uh, Lyndon Johnson, you know, he's trying to get support for uh, for giving black civil rights, and he says he's going to have those N-words uh, voting Democratic for the next 200 years, and he did say that. Um, I, hopefully, they won't be voting Democratic for the next uh, 200 years. I'm very optimistic about what I see and hear from young African Americans. You can't fool people all the time. Right, right. You know, yeah, it's a good point. Oh, I know. Um, you know, you. Um, I, I wonder. You know, Carol. I wonder if there will be a turning point, and I wonder what that turning point will uh, be. Uh, you know, what will wake folks up? You know, we're seeing this whole uh, Black Lives movement, which I know you've been very outspoken about. We're seeing the whole war on cops sort of thing. We're seeing all of these narratives uh, of you know, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. Does anybody's lives matter? I mean, people are so damn confused as to what it's supposed to mean or not mean or what's tongue-in-cheek or what's real. And yet I wonder what the turning point will ever be where folks will wake up and they will take a look and say, okay, I, I really don't like what I see here behind the, behind the curtain, and I want to change the paradigm. Well, my fear is that it's going to be uh, a lot of racial conflict and violence. Right. And I had a book published in 2002 called The New White Nationalism in America, Its Challenge to Integration. And even though it has that title, you know, it's not just beating up on white people. It just looks at uh, some public policy issues and how we are ignoring them to our own peril. There are some legitimate issues and grievances that white Americans have had for a long time that have been exploited by extremists. Uh, that, you know, that they're saying, you know, that white people have rights to, those rights are not being represented, that white people need to organize. There are out there people that are real white supremacists that would like to see a race war. Mm -hmm. I think the Black Lives Matter activists and the new Black Panthers and those that encourage violence against police officers are playing right into the hands of the most extremist uh, white supremacists in the U.S. because they're providing them, 
you know, with more of a justification for everyday white people to organize. Most people just want to go about their lives. They don't hate other people. But if you attack them, you attack their children, you attack their families, you attack, uh, you attack law enforcement, then you will get more people to mobilize in a way that it's my group against your group. Yeah, it's become very personal for all these, uh, uh, you know, groups. It's very, very personal. It's very ugly, in fact, Carol. You see it. You've seen it at the political conventions. You're seeing it anytime there's a rally, the confrontation, what happens. You're seeing the war on offices played out in, in places like Dallas and Baton Rouge, and you're seeing it again and again. But you know uh, something? Yeah. Minorities are already kind of rising up against uh, the Democratic Party. If they didn't have that mile-wide eight foot fence around the convention that was held, yeah. uh, there would have been protesters all over the place. It would have been 1968 all over again. Yeah, and actually, uh, you have a great point because they were worried initially about Cleveland, but it was actually it was actually in uh, Philadelphia that caused uh, the biggest concern after the fact, as you say. I think so. I mean, I think that the Democratic Party is poised to have a huge revolution because people are awakening, are awakening to what's taking place, and um, I think even with the uh, abortion rate in the black community that. Planned Parenthood centers and their policies fuel that there are some Black Lives Matter activists that are beginning to figure out that the lives of the black unborn should count too, and they're seeing the contradiction. And when you look at uh, the Democratic Party elites, their connections to eugenics, I mean, this is nothing but eugenics. If it were Republicans doing to blacks what Democrats do, it would clearly be called genocide. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, a lot of people would agree with that, um, and we're we're seeing it play out here in in a, in a very aggressive way. Carol, I got to pause right now for a quick break. Stay right there. When we come back, I want to talk about the double standard in our universities. Something that you can speak about very clearly, and something you've been very outspoken about. And I'll touch on that when we get back. Here, we'll be right back in just a moment. Stay there. We are back. It's Malcolm Aloud here. Welcome back to This Is Real Life, and we're on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. We have Carol Swain with us. She's a Vanderbilt University professor. Carol's got a whole series of books. I want to tell you about a couple right now because they're interesting. Uh, the, just the titles alone, Black Faces, Black Interests, The Representation of African Americans in Congress, Be the People, A Call to Reclaim America's Faith and Promise. That's, a new, that's your newest book, right, Carol? Uh, 2011, and I have one that will be coming out this fall. What, what's that one called? Do you know? Abduction, um, something like how the liberal left steals the hearts and minds of our children, and it's geared more towards parents making sure that they actually know that there is an agenda to steal their children. The secular left, they're not really having children. They're taking ours. Right. <laughs> They're taking ours. All right. Oh, well said. All right. Let, let, I want to talk to you about these universities, please. You, you have been very, you know, again, you're just one of these. I mean, you, you mentioned before the break that more black leaders are stepping out, more of the millennials are really starting to understand. And again, I credit you with being a very strong, outspoken leader. I've looked back at some of your things. And I want to touch on the fact that 
You know, back, you you had a big critique of Islam uh, in the wake of some of the terrorist attacks in Paris, and there were a lot of students that got outraged about that with you, and that became sort of a big deal uh, for you in the press. There was another one where uh, there was online petition to try to suspend you for what they called discriminatory practices in the classroom when you were outspoken again. Um, some of the things you were uh, accused of with being um, slammed as sad, pathetic to right. remove you. Uh, there have been several things, uh, at least three major, three or four right. incidents in the past year where the university sent out a disclaimer that uh, I don't represent Vanderbilt University, but, Carol, but I have a right here, to my, my views. problem. He, he, listen to me a minute. This really bugs me. It irritates the hell out of me. Listen to me a minute here. I am so sick and tired of hearing universities and all of these liberal-minded people, we know the evidence is clearly in play that they push their agenda 24-7. So now when you have a good conservative leader stand up, and certainly a good African-American conservative leader stand up for her principles, for what she believes. Right away, you're damned, and you're gonna, we're going to remove you. But yet these other jackasses do it every day of the week. Well, you know what's interesting about the Islam piece? I uh, It was published January 15, 2015, after the Charlotte Hebdo attack. And it was in the local paper in the Tennessee and had nothing to do with Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt did the highly unusual thing I've never seen before. They sent out a campus-wide email to all the students encouraging them to seek counseling if they were wounded, you know, by the dangerous ideas I expressed in my opinion piece. And then there was this huge rally that campus officials uh, attended to denounce my hatred and my bigotry, and uh, it got national news. And But, I mean, to me, uh, and I was harassed for months after that, but it was like a gut blow because universities don't do that. They send out those campus-wide emails when someone's been raped, when someone has been killed, when there's been something seriously uh, done to injure a person, usually physically, they don't send it out because of an opinion piece in a local paper. So that was January, and uh, the petition you referred to was November. It was actually uh, filed while I was in Dallas taping the uh, part for Denish's film. Right. That's how I knew that it was an important film, because uh, coincidentally it would happen while I was doing something really important. But how that happened, what got it started was a student messaged me on Facebook and said, we have been reading your Facebook posts and we don't like what you're posting. If you post anything else that offends, and he had a whole slew of groups led by the LGBTIAEVOPLMOQ group, the alphabet group, we're going to have you fired. And being, you know, the person that I am, as soon as I finished reading his thread, I immediately found another article and I posted it. And so then they filed this petition that said I should uh, be suspended until I uh, uh, w until I'd gone through mandatory sensitivity training. Uh, and my crimes were well I, that I and I should not be allowed to call myself a professor because that made Vanderbilt look bad, and that I might discriminate against a whole slew of students. And I've been teaching, you know, over 20 years. I've never had a complaint of discrimination, but they said I might discriminate and that I did not like Muslims. So those were the charges against me. Carol, were those, were those the students who said that or the faculty itself? 
it was students, and they were not. Some of them were uh, were not Vanderbilt students, and not a single one of them had gone through any of my classes. And in my classes, you know, we have fun because I actually allow the students to have free speech. And when I assign readings uh, and films and books, I assign things from the left and the right. And so I try to present them to a balanced view of a topic. Right. And they know my position because I'm a public figure. I would be foolish to present that to try to pretend I didn't have a viewpoint. So they know coming into the classroom what my rules are, who I am. They also know that I'm going to treat them fairly. She and so we have fun. And my class on political culture usually has a waiting list. See, and I can understand why it would. Carol, you operate the same way in the classroom as I operate in my life. It's the way I operate on my platform, in my show, and all the things I touch. Uh, and I really respect that about you, and I, I so appreciate you and uh, how you do this, that you're not an extremist or a bigot on one side or the other, which is exactly, I understand what you're doing. You, you mean, it's two parallels. You put it out there. But isn't that the way it should be, Carol, where we try to educate folks? Like you said, I mean, that's the same what way. it used to be. The university was supposed to be a marketplace of ideas. And right. when I was in graduate school, we had our Marxist professors and we knew who they were and they were proud Marxists and they were you know preaching their stuff along with everyone else well they have gotten such a stronghold on the universities that no one says they are Marxists anymore they don't have to say it they've taken over the whole place right yeah well it's a double standard all the way and I've always seen that did you ever when all that was happening I mean you had to be furious inside of yourself to know that this was happening now you actually have to teach for all these years a couple of decades and be you know uh, be, be, being in that world how did you I mean did you bring it to their attention that this double standard exists that these people do this every day of the week and because you you know like you just said a moment oh, ago you you're entitled to have your opinions you're entitled to have an opinion just as well as I am the discrimination against me was so blatant because there had been uh, three liberal professors, one African-American, two whites, that had been involved in controversies that got public attention. They did not feel the need to send out that email for those professors that they sent out. You know, Professor so-and-so doesn't represent uh, a Vanderbilt University. Uh, but, and they always add, but we're committed to diversity and, and inclusion. So my treatment all along, I would say, has been uh, discriminatory. And I can also say that when the thing happened in January, which felt like a gut blow, I was devastated. And I felt like uh, God was closing the door to my career, wow. only because he had other things for me to do. And so... I could not have imagined myself going back. I was harassed. Uh, all kinds of things happened. But, I, I, you know, I did return. I had a pretty good semester last year, and then I got into trouble again. And how I got into trouble again was um, I wrote an opinion piece about the tragedies that Vanderbilt has experienced uh, in the previous year, but also since they kicked the Christian groups off campus in 2011. And... I raised the question, could there be a spiritual connection between their kicking the Christians off campus and a string of tragedies? And that set off World War III uh, with people mocking me. And while they were mocking me, uh, we had another tragedy. Uh, the, the star player for the baseball team, and we were in the World Series, he drowned the night before the game. Wow. Uh, he had um, tried to swim across the lake. 
and it's, it's a tragedy, but we've had a series of tragedies uh, with students uh, getting killed in terrorist attacks. The university claimed, you know, that Islam is a religion of peace and that I was the extremist, uh, pretty much that uh, there's no terrorist threat. We had a current student and two of our recent graduates that were beloved by the university community killed in separate terrorist attacks. We had a couple of suicides. Uh, and some people say there were more, but ones that I know about. And now uh, some prospective students and their parents were standing outside the admissions office on a calm day. A tree fell on them. Ten people had to go to the hospital. And I'm thinking, like, what's the odds that, you know, this group of prospective students and their parents are standing outside the admissions office and a tree falls without warning on the whole group? Just that they said, you know, it was nonsense, and and the Christians, they are so embarrassed by me, the the good little Christians. They said (laughs) that they don't mind being off campus. I'm not talking about all of them. I'm talking about some of them. That um, I'm just embarrassing them to no end. Because they wish I would shut up about the fact that about half of Vanderbilt's Christian groups are not recognized because they wouldn't sign a policy that – that they would have to have leaders that didn't share their beliefs or or were not expected to uh, follow certain conduct codes. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you before we uh, end uh, our uh, interview here, I want to ask you something. Um, back to where we started here in the general election, uh, what's, your, uh, what, what's your honest opinion at this point of this uh, uh, race with, uh, uh, with uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump? Um, where do you think it goes? Well, I can tell you that I plan to vote for Trump and Pence, and that I believe if Hillary Clinton is uh, elected, that our nation will continue its decline. I think the terrorism, uh, you know, will will become like Israel with the suicide bombings, and we're not prepared. We're not smart enough to handle it as well as they do. I just think that um, the only hope for our country is to take a chance on Donald Trump I'm taking a chance on the Republican Party platform and the people that will go with him to Washington. I trust them because a lot of them are are God-fearing people that uh, will do what's best for our nation. And whatever you say about Donald Trump, there's no one that can argue convincingly that he doesn't love America. Right. You you just put it out there pretty well, actually, uh, your point of love in America. But your point about surrounding yourself with leaders and winners, which Trump has done real well. And many of our leaders, well, the ones that have been most effective uh, in our history, have done exactly that. Uh, you bring up some good points. I like the way you say, too, Carol, that, you know what, I, I, the status quo isn't working for me. I'm going to take a chance on this. I appreciate your honesty, meaning that, you know, hey, uh, nothing's a given. Uh, there's no conclusion here. We don't know what it is because it's the future, and we don't know where the future's going, huh, Carol? We know what the Democrats would do. We do, well, because you look at history, and you can predict the future based on history. So if you look at history, you can, right, you can base the future on that, yeah? That's right, and I hope your uh, listeners will go and watch uh, Hillary's America and also Peter Schweitzer's movie, Clinton Cash. Yeah, I haven't Once you seen see that one yet. What do you fans, think? The- you know why we cannot allow Hillary Clinton uh, to be elected in November. Yeah, real quick, I haven't seen Clinton's Cash yet. What do you think of that one? I mean, I just think it's all scary that uh, that they uh, we we've seen what they did to the White House, and uh, and with this Clinton Foundation stuff. Uh, you know, like if you care about America and and her sovereignty, 
there's only one way to vote in November. And by the way, on a final note, uh, it was just announced this week that there is another investigation. The IRS now is investigating the Clinton Foundation for uh, using state power, uh, the uh, State Department powers in lieu for quid pro quo money, which, of course, people have been predicting all along. It's going to be quite fascinating to see how that one works out. Well, we know how it's going to turn out. It's the Fox, uh, you know, guarding the hen house. uh, They can't invest themselves. They've shown that our government is totally corrupt to the core. The only way you get a serious investigation is to have a change of leadership in all the institutions of Washington. Yeah, that's what's happening right now. You're exactly right. It is absolutely corrupt, and nobody can tell the winners from the losers and the good guys from the bad guys, and that's really the problem here. We're speaking with Vanderbilt University Professor Carol Swain. I'm going to have her links to her books and what have you on the post at americaoutloud.com. You can find it there. As well, we have a new app at America Out Loud. Just go to the App Store, type in America Out Loud. You'll be able to get all of the various radio interviews and pieces right in your phone. It can't be any cooler than that, folks. Again, so good to have a a strong leader like Carol uh, out there on the front lines. We need more of people like Carol here, uh, and we appreciate uh, her role in all of this. 